Thank you that we can just sense how close you are. And like Peter says, even though we've never seen you, we love you. And we're filled with this indescribable joy. I thank you for how meaningful it is to receive the bread and the cup. And to know that one day we're going to sit with you and drink and eat and see you and celebrate with you. And so until then, may we be found faithful. May we follow you. Maybe maybe may we watch for your coming. So Lord, I pray as we look at your word now that you would help us understand it, help us apply it. Uh, as we look at the topic of money, I don't take for granted this is a this can be a difficult topic to navigate. Um, would you help us? Would you give us your heart in the matter? In Jesus' name, amen. Before we talk about money, um, I, I realize that last week, uh, in trying to identify the least of these, was something I probably could have said better. And, and I realized it was kind of a difficult, it was a difficult interpretation for many. And so I want to take a few minutes, and some people were like, I get what you're saying, I just disagree. And some people were like, I wish I could understand exactly what you were saying. Well, yeah, a few minutes on that. Uh, what, what made it difficult, though? I've thought about this throughout the week. Why was that a difficult teaching? And number one, I'd say it was difficult, and this is at the top of the list, I could have explained my interpretation better. That's on me. I could have explained it better. Secondly, um, I would say I assumed my interpretation was already very well known because uh, at least scholars say this has been the main view of the church throughout history. And so I kind of thought, well, that means we all have heard this, right? Apparently that's not been the case. And so I, I assumed something incorrectly. Number three, though, and I think this is very important to understand, the least of these is a beautiful way of talking about helping those in need. It, it provokes an emotional reaction, and it's supposed to, right? I mean, Jesus could have said, that I mean, he said there's sheep and there's goats and it's judgment day and the king's going to come and separate the sheep from the goats and he's going to say to the sheep, welcome into the kingdom that I've prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was in prison and you visited me. And they're like, when, when, when did that happen? So it, Jesus taught to provoke a heart response. This might be some of your, this might be someone's like life verse that I was addressing last week. I understand that. The emotions are there because Jesus wanted us to have a compassionate, emotional response to the need in the world. There it is. Number four, um, I didn't share the other well-known interpretation. I should have done that. I, I didn't think that that was as uh, a big a, a, a strong interpretation as it really is. So I want to do that this morning. And then fifthly, and lastly, um, I should have quoted Galatians 6.10 to summarize my view on serving in general. Uh, because some, and this came up in the cross-training discussion, some were wrestling with, so Niall, are you saying that we're only supposed to serve the church, like bless the blessed? 
And it's like, well, absolutely not. Absolutely not. So this morning I'm going to quote Galatians 6.10 at the end because that summarizes the whole thing really well no matter what side you stand on. So let's do this, redo this really quick and then we'll go on to money briefly too. Um, So number one, interpretation number one, and this is in your notes. You can follow along there if you want. It's all in your bulletin, um, but we'll see see it up on the screen too. Interpretation one is when Jesus says, you did it for me, if you've reached out to the least of these, the least of these, in my view, is they're Jesus' disciples in need. Jesus' disciples have needs, and we're supposed to help meet them as the church. They're part of our family. Why? Well, number one, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> brothers and little ones refer to Jesus' disciples in other places, and I've given you some of those places. And then uh, when, when you ask yourself, well, who are Jesus' brothers in Matthew 25? I'm, I'm asking myself the question, who's Jesus' family? Who, are, who is this family of Christ? And then I look at Matthew 12, uh, and Jesus says, who's my mother? Who are my brothers? Who, who are my sisters? Those who do the will of the Father in heaven. Then I go, aha. So if you want a verse that shows who Jesus' family is, clearly it's those who do the will of God. That's number one. Number two, uh, there are parallel passages in the Bible. And by parallel, what I mean is, sometimes when you're reading a verse and you have questions about what it means, you can find another passage that says very similar things. And then you compare them. You say, oh, this passage says this, and this one also says this. They're similar, and then you can help interpret them that way. So, Matthew 10 I believe, is the parallel passage. In Matthew 10, Jesus calls the 12 disciples and he sends them out and he says things like this. Go town to town and proclaim the good news of the kingdom. And if someone receives you, then be received by them. Stay with them. Don't, don't take lots of supplies with you. Just go to the towns and, and if they receive you, be received. Um, and then he says, if they don't receive you, and your message, it will be worse for them than Sodom and Gomorrah. Shake the dust off your sandals and leave. That's Matthew 10. And then he goes on to say, he warns them, he says, there will be times when you're in trouble with the synagogue. Sometimes you will be in trouble with, legally in trouble for sharing this message. You'll be persecuted. But then at the end he says, and if if you, if, anyone, if you give a cup of cold water, if anyone gives a cup of cold water to a little one because they're my disciples, they will not lose their reward. So I read Matthew 10 and I go, okay, in Matthew 10, there's judgment, a reward. With Matthew 25, there's the sheep and the goats being judged. It's similar. And then you also look at it and go, oh, if you help a little child, even giving them a cup of cold water because they're my disciple, they get that reward. They're helping one of the least of these. And then he also says, there's times when you're going to be in trouble with the synagogue. There's times you could be in jail. And then if someone visits you, it's like visiting Jesus, the least of these. So there's all sorts of similarities there. But I think number three, where I'm really going with this is, if we compassionately serve needy Christians, we prove we've accepted the message of the gospel just like they have and then we all enter the kingdom together. 
So my view is, one day Jesus is going to separate sheep from goats. He's going to say to the sheep, Welcome. The kingdom's been prepared for you. Because I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was, I was naked and, and you clothed me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And so what Jesus is saying is, you didn't earn your salvation by doing those things, but what you did was, you helped the family of God. The reality is, the world doesn't care what's happening to Christians in, in, throughout the world. Uh, the world doesn't care that there are Christians languishing in prison for their faith. Yeah, it makes news when people are beheaded, Christians are beheaded, but by and large, we don't care so much about that. But the church cares. We care. This is family. And so we want to help them. We want to pray for them. We want to do what we can for them. And when we help them, we prove that we too are part of the family of God. Because when you see those Christians suffer, you say, that's family, and I'm going to help take care of them. Because I've accepted the gospel too. And that's the reason Jesus says, welcome into the kingdom. You've accepted the message. You proved it by helping your family, the church family. You're in. That's my understanding. Let me move on though. And I want to I preach this as persuasively as I can as well. Second interpretation is this. The least of these are anybody, anybody that's in need. A very, very popular view, a very well-known view uh, that I wish I would have explained more last week so that you could understand this as well. Number one for that view, almost half. So that's a lot. Almost half of the references to brothers refer to people as neighbors and not disciples. So when Jesus says, have mercy on your brother, uh, forgive your brother, he's not talking about just forgive the church people, don't forgive anybody else out there. That doesn't make sense. When he says brothers, he means anybody, everybody. So if half of those references are brothers, shouldn't we also understand the least of these brothers also to be anybody in need? Furthermore, number two, uh, when Jesus says, I was hungry and you fed me, I was in prison and you, and you visited me, um, <coughs> those are beautiful descriptions of compassionate action. And, and they're traditional descriptions. I mean, that's how you would normally talk. There, there's people that need clothing. There's people that need food. There's people that need lodging. This is just a normal way of talking about need in the world. So why restrict it when we know the need is not just among the church? It's everywhere. It's all sorts of people. And number three, and this, and this may be very convincing for many of you because it's a great passage. The parallel passage for real is Matthew seven twenty-one through 23. Where, um, and let me read that for you. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. There's judgment right there, right? The, the, the context is judgment, just like Matthew 25. But only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform miracles? Then I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. This is the sheep and the goats. 
The goats don't get in, the sheep get in, because they did the will of the Father who's in heaven. They helped the least of these. They reached out with compassion to people. There it is. That's your parallel passage. Um, maybe there's another criticism uh, there that interpretation number two is clearly more simple and more broad. And I'm a big fan of if the simple sense of the passage makes sense, why try to complicate it with other things? Okay, so two good views. I would just encourage you to examine the scriptures like the Berean church did in Acts and say to yourselves, what do I believe about this? And, and either one is perfectly fine. And there's probably a couple other variations too that are less well-known I didn't get into, but those are the two main ones. So examine the scriptures. May we never be a church that says, well, pastor said it, it's got to be true. It's what does the Bible say, and I will believe what it teaches. I will interpret it as best as I can. So, all right. Let me pray for us before we look at money. Father, uh, going into this topic of money, I pray that uh, you'd again give me the grace to talk, speak correctly about it, to speak with your heart about it. And whatever you want to say to us, I pray we'd be able to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, in Galatians 6.10, I almost forgot my, uh, I was going to conclude with that, right? So, uh, almost did it again. So Paul, you know, Paul says, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all, especially those, in, to the, especially those who belong to the family of believers. So if I understand the Apostle Paul correctly, he's saying, you need to do good to everybody. Everybody. Saved, not saved. Christian, Muslim, Buddhist, you name it. Atheist, do good to them. Help them. But especially think about the family of believers. Thank you, Marcy. Um, so, this when you leave today, we're going to take a benevolence offering. That's for needs, and it begins with the family of God. That's how we do benevolence here. So as you take that offering on the way out, you know that, that that's for the needs in the body primarily. We want to help. Have we ever used it for outside the body? I think we're flexible there too, and we have helped other people as well, community people. If the school says we have a need for a family, we've been willing to say, oh, we'll, we'll apply money to that and help that need. And, and things like that. So, okay. If you're in Rooted, you know that the verse this week is Matthew 6, 19 through 21. I always like to say lay up, but this one in your Rooted books is store up. Okay, store up. Are you ready? All right, say it with me. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Very good. Very good. You know, I learned all these things in the King James Version. So it's a stretch, but um, I'm, I'm still doing okay with it. So, all right. Okay. If you saw the title of my sermon, you're thinking, what in the world's going to happen today, right? Um, awkward financial questions. Um, some things you just shouldn't ask people. And I've compiled maybe a list of ten, a top ten, uh, of, thing, of awkward things you probably shouldn't ask somebody. 
Although these things do get asked many times because I've heard them. And I continue to hear them. Now I'm not calling anybody out if you've said this. I, don't, I didn't have anybody in mind when I wrote this, just, just so you know. And, and I'm not telling you these things are sin. If you want to be awkward, go for it. Go, that's great. <clears throat> Do it during the fellowship time. It'll be wonderful, okay? Number 10, who are you voting for? <laughs> or you can name a candidate. I'm not going to do that this morning. What do you think about so-and-so? All right, number 10, who are you voting for? Number 9, who would you, would you like a breath mint? <laughs> now, if you're mama and you're saying that to your son or daughter, it's okay. It's okay. Anybody else? Maybe not. Maybe not. Number eight. Is this a date? This is for you singles out there. I had to have one. I have two for you, actually. Um, So you're sitting down there and and, and you're eating with somebody. You're not thinking anything of it. And suddenly they say, is this a date? (laughs) Okay. All right. All right. If you got to ask, number seven, do you trust me? Which is usually followed by, Let's jump out of the plane together, or let's 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 go uh, swimming uh, in November. You know, <laughs> do you trust me? It'll be all right. The polar plunge—it's in January every year. All right, number six. When are you going to meet the one? Singles, I know. I, I'm totally doing this for your benefit. You know. So when are you going to settle down? Awkward. All right. Which which implies that you're not complete without the one, you know, like you need that one to go on in life, which is just not the case, especially not biblically. Okay. Number five. Someone amen me. I like that. Why don't you like me? I've heard this. I think I might have even experienced this once. And and there's no way to get around that because it's like, so what did I do to you? You know, like you're think you're trying to figure out like I must have done something or said something. But I don't not like you. That's not true. But, but I've heard it. I've heard it. Number four. Why are you eating that? Followed by number three. Number three. Don't you know that's bad for you? It didn't happen here, but I was at a church potluck, and I heard a person say, don't eat that. You know that's bad for you. Oh, you know. All right, all right, fine. If it was apple pie, I'd say, forget you. Get behind me, Satan, you know, and I don't know. Okay, all right, uh, sorry. Number two, why didn't you invite me? Well, I don't know, Charlie Brown. Uh, I guess I just forgot. Awkward. Number one, <laughs> does this dress make me look fat? <laughs> Men, can I help you answer that question the right way? No, dear. What's for lunch today? <laughs> no, I wasn't implying anything about lunch. That's, you just changed the topic. That's what I meant, you know. <laughs> no, dear. Let's, let's, uh, let's watch something on TV. <laughs> change the topic as fast as you can. All right. Um, some questions are awkward. I want to ask some awkward financial questions of you in a few minutes. It's going to be hard, and this morning I woke up and I thought, what am I doing? I have no business asking these things, but I'm going to, all right? So, um, all right, I'm not going to set up any standards that, that are not biblical. I'm not, any of my questions are not going to set up rules, because 
If you want legalism, uh, you're at the wrong church for that because we're not setting up extra rules for people. That's not what we're doing. So, Okay, um, Jesus says, don't store up treasure on earth, store up treasure in heaven. And I think we all understand what he's getting at is, uh, my, my treasure shouldn't be here. It shouldn't be the stuff that I have. I should be using my resources to store up treasure in heaven. My, my finances, my stuff, I need to use that stuff God has entrusted to me and, and eventually I will get a spiritual reward that will last forever. Forever. Because I can't take this stuff with me and this stuff wears out and, and the car that you drove off the parking lot new is not going to look like new in 20 years. Unless you only drive it once a month then it will probably look pretty good still. But normally things wear out. The vermin destroy. Things can be taken from you. That's just, that's just what happens. So I think we all kind of get what Jesus is getting at. What I want to do is look at some other passages where Jesus explains himself about this treasure thing, okay? And, and what does it look like practically in your life? So if you look at, first of all, um, and this will be on the screen behind me, uh, Mark 10, if we can get that up there. I think that's the first one. Whatever the first verse is, Jim, give us that one. Technical difficulties? Okay, not a big deal. Um, so Mark 10, when, when you see it in a minute, uh, if we get it up there, is this, the story of the rich young man and, who comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, uh, what, what do you read? You know, what, what do you think? And, he's, and, and, and anyway, they settle on, obey the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't do these things. And then the young man, the rich guy says, I've done all of these from my youth. And then Jesus says, one thing you lack. Go and sell everything you have, give to the poor, and then come follow me. That's Mark 10, 21. I'll quote it for you here. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. There's our phrase. Treasure in heaven and then come follow me. And the story ends with the man, you know this story, the man walks away because he has so much wealth and he can't get rid of it. Now, I think in my second year of youth ministry, I had to preach that passage. And I remember sweating about it because I thought, I'm a young guy. I have no business talking to adults about money. And furthermore, I'm practically broke. <laughs> So what, 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 what am I doing saying these things, you know? And I remember preaching it and saying something like, um, what Jesus did was for that young man is he put his finger on that man's God, his idol. And basically said, if you don't get rid of your idol, you're not going to be able to follow me. And so that kind of got me off the hook because... I don't worship at the altar of money, so he can't be directing this straight at me to sell my belongings. Certainly that's not me. If you go on, though, you look at Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus is a short little guy that we talk about in Sunday school a lot. And he wants to see Jesus. He's a tax collector, despicable sinner, cheats people out of their money, but climbs the tree, and you know, Jesus passes by and says, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to your house today. And so they eat. 
And Zacchaeus has an encounter with Jesus, which leads him to stand up and say to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. Half. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay four times, pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. You're saved. I just gave away half my stuff. You're saved. You're laying up treasure in heaven now. You're saved. Okay? So I read this and I go, uh, Zacchaeus, I, I'm not a dirty, rotten tax collector. I don't, if I gave away half of what I had, I'm not sure I'd have a place to sleep tonight if I gave half away. So clearly, Zacchaeus doesn't hit me you know, uh, the, the way it should because I'm not Zacchaeus and I haven't cheated people. I don't have to pay people four times back. I haven't done that. I'm off the hook again. Um, then Jesus goes on another place. He says, let me tell you a parable. There was a rich man that produced a lot, lots of wealth because he had a really great crop come in. And when he had that great crop come in, he said, man, I've got enough for years and years. I'm going to take it easy. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. I'm going to tear down my small barns and build big barns and store everything I've got in there. Uh, this is Luke 12:18. This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I'll store all my grain and goods. And I'll say to myself, you've got plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Retire early. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, that was my editorial comment, by the way. That's the Nile version. Um, But God said to him, uh, you fool, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you prepared for yourself? This is how it will be for anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. And that's troubling because I've been able to write off the young man, and Jesus says, sell everything. I can't sell everything and survive. I can't do what the young man, that, that rich guy, what Jesus told him to do. And I can't do what Zacchaeus did and give away half because, again, what would I do? But then I see Jesus saying, this will be how it will be for anyone, anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. And so I look at that and I think, you know, um, I can store some things and be rich towards God because I've done a lot of good works. I can have the best of both worlds, can I? And then the next verse, the last one, Jesus is teaching the people. And this is just a general teaching of Christ when he says, Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. So it's kind of like, if you're a believer in me, you're going to sell stuff and give to the people in need. That's just what you're going to do. If you want treasure in heaven, you want to be in the kingdom of God and have treasure there, that's just, that's just the expectation. So now I'm going, Jesus, you had a general teaching that people should get rid of stuff for the sake of eternal treasure and for the sake of people in need, like the least of these. So let me ask you some awkward financial questions. And I'm making no law about any of these things. I'm not making a rule. Because that would be legalism. That would be sinful. 
It's just questions we ought to ask ourselves as believers in America. We should just ask ourselves these things. And as people in the Northwoods, maybe it hits a little closer to home. Uh, I felt awkward this morning waking up. So just so you know, I feel awkward saying these things. But I'm going to say them. Uh, And I'm making no rule. Again, I'm making no rule. Number 10. Should I own a second home? Should you? Number nine, should I take that expensive vacation? I booked mine this week as I was studying, and I felt awkward. Uh, I got a deal, but number eight, (laughs) do I need the latest tech? Do I need the newest model of whatever? I know Christy would love one of those new washer and dryers, you know, the really fancy looking ones. She would love that. You know, uh, the latest iPhone 6 is what I use. Really? Number seven. Are those recreational toys too much? Number six. If most of the world thinks I'm living large, am I? This one hit me hard when uh, Pastor Daniel and Erica from Uganda stayed with us for the weekend and you heard them share in the church that Sunday. And every meal we had, he didn't say this every meal. He said said this a couple times. He said, this is a heavy meal, he said. This is a heavy meal. And I thought about what he was saying and I thought, you're right. But this this is what Americans do. This is what we eat. Heavy. If most of the world thinks I'm living large with what I eat, how I live, is that a problem? Is that an issue? Number five. Should I be going into debt for this stuff? Should you? No. That's right. (laughs) I love it. Out of the... (laughs) Out of the mouth of babes. Number four, should I have life insurance? I think I've asked you this one before. I do have it, by the way, but I've thought about it. Should I? Is there a lack of trust there, or is that just wise planning? Number three, what's the right percentage of income to give to the church? For some people, it's whatever's left in your wallet at the end of the week. For others, it's 10%. That was the Old Testament tithe. And the rest you can do whatever you want with. Number two is related to it. How much should I give to those in need? Uh, By the way, if you did your rooted readings this last week, um, one of the teachings that clearly came through that is everything belongs to God. The percentage is not 10%. The percentage is 100%. It all belongs to Him. But you need to decide a portion to give to your church. That's... uh, That was Paul's clear thing. Set aside a portion, and when we come together, you you give that portion. Number two, how much should I give to those in need? So I've given to my church, and I still have more than I need, so how much should I commit to people who don't have what they need? Again, uh, hearing Pastor Daniel pray before meals, he'd always pray for those who don't have a meal. I don't think about that. I just don't. If I have extra, it must be for my enjoyment. And number one, how much should I save for retirement when others don't have a meal today? 
how much should I save for my future dinners if people don't have even one meal today? I'm not setting up rules, uh, and that wouldn't be fair if I did. There was an awesome couple at the church in Watoma that had a second home, and they used it for... uh, I, mean, I have no problems with this. I mean, they used it. I, I stayed there with my wife when we were first married, and we were candidating in Watoma. I didn't even have a job yet. You know, I'm just trying out. And we stayed there two weeks as newlyweds. It was great. It was like a second honeymoon. Uh, great use of a second home. They also let us use it for board retreats. Uh, we, we, we could be there. We could sleep there even. Um, I'm not trying to set down a rule But I'm asking you to look at your things, your resources, and ask yourself some awkward questions that I can't possibly answer for you. And I have no judgment for you either, just so you know. No judgment here. It's between you and the Lord. Um, But this is what I do know with the last three minutes, I think, that we have here. Um, Here's what I do know. There is an excellent verse for helping shape how we think about these things and really summarizing what Jesus said. It's Ephesians 4, 20. Sorry, 28. Ephesians 4, 28. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. One time I was reading uh, John Piper on this verse, and he called my attention to it, and it was really a riveting moment in my life to think about what this means. Uh, there seems to be three levels in this verse of getting things. And you have this in your notes. Level one, we steal to get. And clearly Paul's saying, don't do that. And I don't care if you're, if you're like in the corporate world and, and you're stealing from your workers in some way. I mean, there's scandals in the corporate world and it has to do with money and it has to do with theft. But there's also the lower level of, I took 20 bucks out of grandma's wallet, you know? Or the inner city thing of of, of robbing a grocery store and and taking something off the shelf. Or or, um, in in Peoria, my school, someone uh, um, shoplifting at the local uh, clothing store. You know, it's just, it's everywhere. People steal. People steal to get. Big, little, rich, poor. They steal. Don't do that. You can't live at level one. Level two is uh, we work to get. You should do something honest with your own hands. You, you work to receive things. Most of us live at this level. Most of us, I think, live at the whole, I'm going to do my job, I'm going to get paid for it, and then I'm going to provide for the needs of my family and myself. Most of us are right here at level two. And again, that's biblical. You should work to receive things. If you don't work, you shouldn't eat. If you don't provide for your family, Paul says you're worse than an outsider. You know, you're worse than a non-Christian person. You work. Um, And then there's level three. And I believe this is where Jesus is trying to push us deeper and deeper down the levels. Level three is I work to get in order to share. I work to get in order to share. And Ephesians 4.28 is so simple. It's like, don't steal, do honest work, so that you can share with those in need. So again, if I have more than what I need, 
It's so that I can help other people who don't have what they need. I'm not for enabling people. I'm not for um, giving money away, you know, hand over fist, and then people going out and spending it on their cable bill or cigarettes. You know, I, I know that there are abuses in, in when we give money. I know there's lots of abuses. You've got to be wise in how you do this. Wise. But I do know what Jesus wants from us because he said it over and over and over. And it's not that you have to take a vow of poverty and get rid of all your possessions like the rich man. It's not like you have to be Zacchaeus and get rid of half. Because I'm guessing Zacchaeus probably had another half he could still live on and still live pretty well, I'm guessing. Um, it's not a percentage that I can give you and say, if it's 10%, if it's 20 if it's 30 I can't do that. It's you talking to God and saying, God, can we have an awkward conversation? I know you're pushing me down to level three. I know that's your will. What does that look like? What's it look like? And what's it look like to take what I already have? If it's the second home, if it's the the toys, the Northwoods toys that you use to enjoy nature, if it's having a very large bank account where you just have so much more than what you even need, and asking yourself, if I have these things, what do I do to have these things actually lay up treasure in heaven? Do I need to get rid of them or do I need to use them differently? Do I need to rethink this whole thing? I can't tell you any of those answers. I can only tell you Jesus is pushing you down to level three. That's his challenge for the church today. You work to get in order to share. Um, I'm going to close the service off, but I want to tell you one more thing. Um, I really wish I would have realized last Sunday was International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. I care about that so much. So uh, today, uh, for cross-training, you know, we'll be dismissed. Kids will go to Sunday school. At 1045, we'll, we'll regather here, those that want to stay, and we're going to pray for the persecuted church. I'm going to show a video on the persecuted church. They always have an excellent video every year that, that highlights a story of what's happening in the world. And then we're going to pray, and then we'll pray for some personal needs too. But, but this is important. These are our brothers and sisters, and I hate missing a chance to just lift them up with the rest of the the world on that day where we did the International Day of Prayer. So um, let's do that. If you feel led to stay, please do that. So would you